Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll be here this morning. And we're going to cover verses 6 through 9, Lord willing, looking into God's wisdom for us. There are so many things that can be said about this year and so many things that will be said about this year in the future. Uh, so many different things happening that on a broad scale appear to each one of us to be tragic in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we have been taken away from what we knew as life as normal, and it's uncertain if we'll ever get back to life as normal, or if this truly is the new normal. But here in the moment, we have to be careful about how we think of things and how we perceive the world around us, how we consider the year 2020. We have to think biblically. We have to think with a godly worldview as we seek to understand the things that are going on around us. And I would hope that right now as Christians, we can see at least on a fundamental level that people, generally speaking, are confused about their purpose in life. So many people confused about what's going on and where this is going and why it's all happening. And we can see by watching the news and by reading reports and everything else that there are worldviews clashing out there in the culture. Worldviews clashing into each other, people who do not see the world the same at all, all of their ideas are bumping into one another, and there are so many who are without any understanding of what's going on in the world. There are so many also that think they have a perfect understanding of everything that's going on, <laughs> and we need to be wary of that ditch as well. But there is a level of understanding we can have about what's happening in the world because God has revealed it to us. And one of the things we have to understand about the world around us and those who do not know God through the gospel, those who are still reckoned as His enemies, is that there's a level of blindness and deafness with them. There's a level of just a lack of understanding and ignorance. There are those who are naive and deceived and deluded. There's a biblical term, there's a Greek word for self-deceived, and I think we see a lot of that today also. We are living in a world where God's wisdom is needed, and it's been this way from the beginning. We just feel it now, perhaps, more than ever before, that our world is sick, and our world is dry and thirsty, and we desperately need a healthy dose of the wisdom of God. Today we're going to learn more about this wisdom, and before we get into the text, why don't I open with another prayer as we get our hearts prepared to see what's in Scripture today. Father, again, we come to You thankful, thankful that You are who You are, and You've created us in Your image, and You've redeemed us through the blood of Christ. Thank You. We thank You that this is not our home that we have so much to look forward to, our inheritance, which has been secured by the work of Jesus, that we can look forward to eternal glory with You, the absence of sin, the absence of all things wrong, that there would just be perfect, beautiful, marvelous, infinite, matchless 
wonderful glory. Lord, have us to live for our inheritance, that we would not live for this place which is perishing, but that we would live for our imperishable inheritance that you have given to us. Lord, I ask that this morning as we read this very important text and we see what it is that you have for us about your wisdom, I pray that we'd be changed by it, that we would understand more and that understanding would translate into living, that our understanding would override and control our emotions, that the understanding that we draw from your word would guide us in every way as we live this life for you. And Lord, I ask that though I am a sinner both by nature and by choice, that I would not get in the way of your text this morning, but that you, by your Spirit's power, would make your text clear to your people. Lord, have us to have a wonderful time of fellowship around your truth today. Change us by the powerful word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom. We speak God's wisdom. Verse 6 starts with yet, because Paul has been going on and on from the beginning of this letter, talking to the believers in the city of Corinth, letting them know that we do not have any association with wisdom as the world knows it. The world looks at us as Christians and says, foolishness, ignorance, lack of understanding, deception. And yet here we are as Christians and we turn around and look at the world and say, foolishness, ignorance, lack of understanding, deception, right? And we have to understand that our relationship with God and our proximity to the gospel changes all of this. It changes our perception of the world around us. When we have the wisdom of God, it changes the way we understand reality and perceive the world. So Paul, as he's been saying, we, we're fools. We have nothing to do with this wisdom that the world offers. He starts in verse 6 by saying, yet, actually, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds offensive, doesn't it? Well, let's talk about this wisdom. There are actually five key aspects in this passage today to God's wisdom that I want you to see. Five aspects, and if you've got your notes, follow along there in the bulletin. I've got them written out there for you. Five aspects to God's wisdom. The first is that it truly is His wisdom. We see that this is possessive in verse 7, right? We speak God's wisdom. He's the one who owns this wisdom. It belongs to Him. But beyond that, we recognize that God is His own source of wisdom. It is His through and through. It's always been His. This wisdom was not given to Him from another. You can probably start to piece together what that would do to our view of God if we believed God was given wisdom from someone else. Automatically, God is lowered in the ranks. He loses authority. He loses majesty. He loses His glory if He was given wisdom from another. So just like with his life, it says in John chapter 5, Jesus says, God has life in himself. So we understand God has wisdom in himself. He is not given wisdom. 
And I want you to see this also in Proverbs. You don't have to turn there with me, but Proverbs chapter 8 has a lot to say about the wisdom of God and how it's always belonged to God. Proverbs 8, 22, it says, For the Lord possessed me, this is wisdom speaking, at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. Verse 23, From everlasting I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. God's wisdom has existed as long as there's been God, which is to say it's eternal. Verse 35 of Proverbs 8, it says, For he who finds me, again, this is wisdom speaking, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Verse 36, but he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Wow. God's wisdom, what we do with God's wisdom really depends about us. If we embrace the wisdom of God, if we have a relationship with the wisdom of God where it has an effect on our lives, well, we obtain favor from the Lord. But if we are opposed to wisdom, if we hate wisdom, Scripture says we love death, a tragic place to be. The first thing we see is that God's wisdom is His. It's through and through His wisdom that He's had from the beginning. Secondly, God's wisdom is Christian meaning that this wisdom is found in Christ and found in Christ alone. God's wisdom is not found in any other source or any other person than Jesus Christ. Beyond that, as we find God's wisdom in Christ together, God's wisdom is then shared among Christians. God's wisdom, which is found in Christ, is shared by those who are also found in Christ. You recognize that's what's happened in your salvation as God has transferred you from the domain of darkness into His marvelous light. He has taken you from being a child of wrath to where you are now a child of God. You are no longer in the world, but you are in Christ. And as you are in Christ, you have access to this wisdom and share it with one another. It's amazing to think about that as God's wisdom is intrinsic to His nature and it's eternal just as He is, and He is His own source of wisdom, He then gives it to us. He's the only one who can give it, and He chooses to do so in Christ. He gives His wisdom. He shares His wisdom in Christ. He alone possesses it. He alone gives it. An amazing thought. Thirdly, we recognize that God's wisdom is also eternal. It is also heavenly. Look at what it says in verse 6 again. He says, "...the wisdom that we speak," Paul writing, The wisdom is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. The word there for age is the the word for on. It's not of this time. It's not of the times that pass away. It's not of the people of this time who will also pass away. But this wisdom that we speak of, God's wisdom, actually exists outside of time. And that's what we mean by eternal, that God's wisdom is eternal. It's timeless. It exists outside of time itself. True wisdom does not stem from the thinkers of this world. Amen to that, right? (laughs) True wisdom does not stem from the thinkers of the world that we live in. And remember the context in which Paul is writing this, the Corinthians. They loved to champion the wisdom of people. Remember in chapter 1, Paul had to point out, 
Each of you are saying, I'm of this guy, I'm of that guy. They were looking for worldly leaders and attaching themselves to those worldly leaders. And Paul says, that's not the way it should be. We are all of Christ. We don't fix ourselves to another fallen human being, but instead we fix ourselves to Christ. So to the Corinthians, hearing this in verse 6, that this wisdom we speak is not of the rulers of this age because they're passing away. We're speaking of a wisdom that transcends time itself. At first blush, it was probably offensive to the Corinthians. But there's a great hope in this for the Corinthians and for us and for everybody in between. There's a great hope. Our wisdom is not of this age. It means that we've actually been delivered from this age. If we didn't know Christ, if we didn't have access to God's wisdom, which exists outside of this age then the only place where we could actually find hope in this world would be from the things that exist within this age. And let me tell you, that's hopeless. What can we find in this world? What can we find in this day and age that we live in that gives us true, actual change, uh, a hope that changes you? You can't find it. There's nothing in this life that will give you meaning and purpose and hope Because it's all going to fail, isn't it? It's all going to fall short. And as we live this crazy year, the year 2020, can't you say that you're thankful that you've been delivered from this age? Our hope is not found in this world. So we need to be careful when it comes to embracing the world's wisdom at any level, which is truly foolishness to God. If there's anything in us that pulls us toward embracing fallen wisdom, we need to be careful, and we need to seek that James chapter 3 type of wisdom, the wisdom that is from above, that holy and pure wisdom of God. Fourthly, we see in this passage that God's wisdom is also a mystery. It's mysterious. This is in verse 7. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Now, Paul, when he uses that word mystery in the New Testament, he's consistently speaking of something that was previously concealed, but has now been revealed. So, something that was hidden beforehand that's now unveiled and can be seen and comprehended by the spiritual people. When we say God's wisdom is mysterious, we mean to say that it was something that was hidden, but it's now revealed. We recognize in this letter, Paul has already said that The wisdom of God is Jesus Himself. This is chapter 1, verse 30, where it says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. The incarnation of Christ as the Word of God, the Logos of God, the wisdom of God took on flesh. We recognize that the wisdom of God is truly found in a person, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But there's more to be said about this, and I want us to turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. So keep your finger here, but turn forward in your New Testament to the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians 2, verses 2 through 4, and this is a passage I've referenced in 1 Corinthians already, probably more than once. There's so much to see here and so much to embrace here that directs our worldview. Colossians 2, starting at verse 2, he's saying that he's been praying, Paul again, that their hearts may be encouraged, 
having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Here we see that God's mystery is Christ Himself, verse 2, and in verse 3, we see that all of God's wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God are found in Christ. So as Christ came to earth, the eternal Son of God, as He came to earth and lived among us and gave us a fuller revelation of God, we go to Him to access all wisdom and all knowledge. We go to Him to access all understanding. Do you want to understand what's going on in the world around you? Why? this way, why things are that way, first go to Christ. Once you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, God starts to unlock in your mind the things that are going on around you. You can discern the world around you truly, and you can have a hope that transcends this age. God's wisdom is a mystery, and we have access to the riches of this mystery only through Jesus Christ. And fifthly, God's wisdom is still yet hidden. It's still hidden. This is again in verse 7, where again Paul says, We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So God's wisdom is a mystery to some, meaning it was hidden and now it's revealed. Yet to others, God's wisdom is still hidden, meaning it's unseen. God's wisdom can't be seen. It's, it can't be understood. It's inaccessible to some because it is still concealed. There are certain people who cannot access the wisdom of God. It is yet hidden to them. This wisdom in Jesus Christ has not been revealed to all people. For some people, it is a mystery, meaning we used to not see it, but now we do. To other people, it is still hidden, and they don't have access to it. And Jesus spoke quite plainly about this in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to turn there with me also. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Jesus is in the midst of giving many parables. This is a pretty famous chapter for parables about the kingdom of God, Matthew 13. And the disciples in the middle of this ask Him a very basic question. It's a question that we would probably want to ask if we were there. In verse 10 of Matthew 13, the disciples asked Him, why do you speak to them in parables? It's a good question, right? Why are you speaking in these illustrations that are hard to comprehend? Why don't you just cut through all this and just speak plainly about what's going on, Jesus? Why are you speaking in parables? Well, Jesus gives them an answer. And when you ask Jesus a question, you better be ready for the answer, all right? He gives gives the truth. Here it is, verse 11, Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Okay, Jesus, that's pretty alarming. Verse 12, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has 
shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Wow. Wow, that's an amazing teaching from Jesus. To some it has been granted, he says, to know the mysteries of God, and to others it has not been granted. It is still hidden. It's incomprehensible. They can't access it because God has willed for them to not see it. They've hardened their hearts and God has willed not to open their eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. This will be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Paul's second inspired letter to the Corinthians. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Listen to what God has done to us. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How does someone come to understand the wisdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom? How does one come to understand the gospel? By God coming into their hearts and shining light. It's the only way. It's the only way anybody can be saved. And yet there are those to whom it has not been granted. And they do not know, they cannot know, they cannot have a life-changing experience with the gospel apart from God's work in their hearts. This gospel, this wisdom was revealed to us by God's power alone through the cross of Christ. And what Paul has done in this letter, as the Holy Spirit has guided every word, Paul has stripped down for the Corinthians every reason they may have had to boast, hasn't he? Every reason they may have had to boast in themselves, to make much of their own wisdom, to make much of their own knowledge. He's taken all that away. Our only boast is in the cross of Christ, because that is where the power of God is found. God's wisdom and God's power go hand in hand. And as God has powerfully come into our hearts and shined His light into our dark hearts, the power of God has changed us. We've been changed by the gospel. We now have been affected by the wisdom of God because God has willed it so. This wisdom that belongs to Him and Him alone, this wisdom that is Christian, it's in Christ alone. This wisdom that is timeless, it's eternal has become to us a mystery revealed, and yet to the world it is still hidden. 
Astounding. Astounding, isn't it? Now we must recognize this world that is blind to the wisdom of God, their relationship with God's wisdom. First is that, of course, since it's hidden from them, since they don't have a relationship with God's wisdom, with the gospel of God, with Jesus Christ Himself, we must say on a basic level they're ignorant of God's wisdom. Look at verse 6 again with me. God's wisdom is spoken among those who are mature. This is among Christians. And drop down to verse 8 with me. It's a wisdom that none of the rulers of this age has understood. There's a lack of understanding in the world of God's wisdom. They have no relationship with it. It has no effect on them. It's changed our lives, but it hasn't changed theirs. And if you have people close to you, and I certainly hope you do, who are not Christians, you can understand how this has changed our lives, but it has no effect on them, no effect whatsoever. Because at a basic level, there's an ignorance and a lack of understanding of the wisdom of God. They're blind and they're deaf to spiritual things. And the prime evidence of this that Paul uses in verse 8 is the crucifixion. They haven't understood this, for if they had understood it, he says, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think of Herod and Pilate in the Gospels. King Herod. Did they understand God's wisdom? Well, certainly not. God's wisdom was standing right before them. There was mocking. There was deception. There was outright and total ignorance of God's wisdom. They didn't understand it because if they had understood, they would not have crucified Him. Yet they did. So ironically, as people in this world, the leaders of this world and others pursue wisdom, they're missing out on true wisdom. When they pursue wisdom apart from Christ and they pursue wisdom apart from the Word of God, they miss out on what is true wisdom. And those who crucified Christ unknowingly fulfilled God's plan of wisdom. There they were pursuing wisdom apart from Christ, and they were main actors in fulfilling the plan of Christ. So they're ignorant of this wisdom, and what comes along with that, as seen in the crucifixion, is they are opposed to it. The world is not only ignorant of it, but they're opposed to it. The word that the New Testament uses is hostile. The world is hostile to the wisdom of God, the gospel of God, Jesus Christ Himself. And I want to show you a few verses. Again, they'll be up on the screen, starting in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. It says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. And furthermore, look at this, it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They're hostile toward God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about worldly leaders. He's, Paul again writes to this church in Thessalonica, "...for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews." Verse 15, "...who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but 
there's the word, hostile to all men. Opposition to the wisdom of God is hostility. And then really bringing it home, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Now we're not talking about them. We're not talking about the rulers of this age. Now we're talking about you, Christian. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We were just as they. Christians were just as the world. We were hostile also as we now as Christians in our church look out and we recognize persecutions coming. They're hostile toward us. There they are without understanding, fighting with one another and fighting with us. It's coming. We have to also recognize that there's a basic truth. We were them. We were once there. Nobody was ever born a Christian. You were born a child of wrath. You were born an enemy of God and you were hostile in your mind. You were hostile in your thinking. And if it were not for the intervening grace of God through the gospel, where Jesus in His fleshly body through His death reconciled us, we would be just like the rest. But God in His grace has chosen to save. He's chosen to redeem, to in, and to shine light in our dark hearts, the light of the gospel the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the world opposes it as God's enemies. But to those of us who have come to know the wisdom of God, it's very near and dear to us, isn't it? The gospel, our Savior Jesus Christ, His teachings, the Word of God, this is all very near and dear to us. It's personal to us. And that's what I want to finish with is speaking of God's mysterious wisdom for us. It's not just a wisdom that's there, but it's a wisdom that's there for us. I want us to go back to verse 6 again in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, This wisdom is spoken among those who are mature. Among those who are mature. What's in view here is Christians, not a special group of Christians who are now more enlightened than the other Christians, but this is speaking of all Christians, those who have the Spirit of God. We speak the wisdom of God. Because we all have access to God's wisdom through the gospel. We all have access to the riches of knowledge through Jesus Christ. And now as Christians, we speak it to one another. We should be speaking it to one another. As we go about our lives and as we counsel one another, which is basically every time we talk to each other, as we do this, what do we do it from? What perspective do we have? We do it from a position of recognizing the gospel covers these issues. The gospel has the world's answers. Jesus has the healing. The Word of God provides for us direction. We speak God's wisdom as Christians. This is what we do. It's shared among the mature. More than that, look at verse 7. This wisdom God predestined before the ages to our glory or for our glory. Before there was time which is really hard for us to think about. But before there was time, before the ages existed, the plan of God included this wisdom, the wisdom of the gospel. We recognize that 
Scripture talks of Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Christ was known before the foundation of the world. This wisdom of God is outside of time and it's predestined to our glory, meaning that not just before there was time, the plan of God existed, but before the, there was time, the plan of God included causing certain individuals to come to understand this wisdom, culminating in a glorious salvation. Before there was time, God foreknew His church. God knew you, Christian, before there was time. And this wisdom was predestined to your glory to your glory. And that's the culmination of our, of our salvation. We talk about salvation in past, present, and future tenses. We were justified. At a moment in time when we first believed, truly believed, God declared us to be innocent. So that's why we can say, I was saved on this date, right? But then we recognize there's a sense in which we are being saved. The sanctification that God is working about in our hearts day by day, moment by moment, second by second, God's Holy Spirit living in us, causing us to be like Jesus, conforming us to the image of Christ. So we can say we are being saved. And yet we recognize there's yet another element where one day we're going to be saved. Even though we have been saved, even though we are being saved, we will be saved. Because we read in Scripture how this corruptible body will put on incorruptible. This mortal flesh will put on immortal flesh, meaning we will be changed, we'll be glorified. We will see Him because we will be like Him. We will be given a new nature that transcends the decay that we deal with in this life. That's called glorification. And as God had this plan of wisdom and as God thought of those who He was going to save, he was thinking of the glory to which they would be saved. It's predestined. We were predestined for glory, and this wisdom was predestined to our glory. So this wisdom is shared among the mature, predestined to the glory of His people. And this wisdom is also what God prepared for those whom He has called. This is a verse maybe you've heard before, but never remember where it is in Scripture. Well, now you know. Verse 9. Things which eye has not seen, things which ear has not heard, things which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. What an amazing verse. The main verse being cited here is Isaiah 64, 4, though it's a smattering of verses from Isaiah, it appears, that Paul has placed together. And what is being said here is that God has set something in order. That's what it means to prepare. He's he set things in order that His people would be united with it. This preparation that God has made, its end goal is that His people would be united to it, the things that He's preparing, those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose, that they would be united with that which God has prepared. And notice that these things that God has prepared, we do not access them through our senses and reasoning. We do not access them through our feelings. These are things that the eye hasn't seen. These are things that your ear hasn't heard. These are things that 
haven't entered your heart to make it go pitter-patter and make you feel like you just had some spiritual experience. The things that God has prepared is completely external to us, so it doesn't spring about from our hearts, and it's spiritual. It's not something physical that we can put under a microscope. It's not something that we can see with a telescope. Eyes can't see it. Ears can't hear it. You can't feel it. It doesn't uh, originate from your feelings. But what God has offered to us in His wisdom is something directly from Him that He gives to us. He applies to our souls. And as we are united to Christ, we are united to this wisdom that God has prepared. As we are united to God through Jesus' work in the gospel, we now recognize and fully understand who He is and who we are. This speaks to our view of the cross. We looked at last week, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What has God prepared for those who love Him, for those who are the called? Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the knowledge of the gospel, the love of God poured out on Calvary, the resurrected Lord and Savior who never leaves us or forsakes us, the one who directs us, who gives us His Spirit. And we can see in the Word of God what it is that we need to know about God and about man. Do we consider the cross foolishness or a stumbling block like the Greeks and the Gentiles? Or do we consider the cross the very wisdom of God? Do we see in the cross the wonderful gospel that saved us, this wisdom that God has prepared before the ages to our glory? Do we see the gospel of God, Christ, who is the wisdom of God, as more majestic than anything our eyes have ever seen, more majestic than anything our ears could ever hear? Do we see the gospel, do we see Jesus, as more wonderful than anything our hearts have ever contrived? Do we love God? Notice that's what it says at the end of verse 9, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Do we love God? Are we drawn to God because of the wisdom and the beauty of the cross? Let us consider these things for ourselves and for our families and for our neighbors and for the culture and what this means. That as we continue to go through this year, you know it's going to get crazier, right? <laughs> Our election's just a couple weeks away. Let's consider the very wisdom of God, and let's use those lenses as we look at the world around us. Let's view the world through the wisdom of God, His gospel, our Savior, His Word. Father, again, thank You. You've saved us. You've drawn us close. Give us more and more of Your wisdom. Give us a vision of Your wisdom each day as we wake up and walk through this life that we would understand and perceive the world around us rightly, and that we'd be so provoked while we do it that we can help but pray and proclaim the gospel. If all we do is pray and proclaim the gospel, we're doing really well. Lord, have us to be that, that desire in our hearts. Give us a flame of desire for these things, that we would seek to please You in all respects and honor You 
and cherish you and have more faith and understanding. We thank you for the wisdom of God as seen in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.